Ted Bohork is here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. This is where I take everything we talked about this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG, and I break it down into a nice little summary. We're going to get things started off with how we do pretty much every week. Joe Biden, according to a new ABC News poll, just 37% approve of his job performance, while 56% disapprove. Now, that doesn't go along Democrat or Republican. That is just the general population of American voters. Those numbers came in just this week. And a further breakdown of that, only about 30% of people approve of Biden's handling of the economy, and even less than that, 23% of people approve of his handling of the border. Again, this is across political spectrum. This is just general Americans. 23% think he's doing the border well. Hmm, that's pretty low. Seems to me like Democrats and Republican voters might have more in common than we think. 20% of people strongly approve of his work overall, these Biden stands, so to speak, while 45% of American voters strongly disapprove of his work overall. So no matter which way you cut this, Biden's got kind of an uphill climb when it comes to getting his administration back on track. But, you know, the counterargument, of course, is that Biden doesn't really have any true Democratic opposition, at least not for the primary. The Democratic National Committee will not allow debates to take place, which I personally I think is a little strange, especially because the only really other front runner on the Democratic Party for president come 2024 is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's been making some pretty major waves in the last couple of weeks. A recent poll shows 33 percent of Democrat voters would likely vote for RFKJ if he ran as an independent. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but that is actually a pretty large number, especially because the DNC essentially doesn't even recognize that he's running. <laughs> so he's not even really part of the party. The party is, is doing what they can to essentially not necessarily silence him, but doing what they can to not highlight him. They're trying to sweep him under the rug, and they've been pretty successful at it. But RFKJ, he's just chugging along. And he has 33% of Democratic voters, a third? That's a pretty big number. And that's something Biden's going to have to watch out for, especially considering RFKJ did this from the grassroots, truly from the bottom up, because top down, the DNC, they aren't giving him anything. They're not giving him any airtime. They're not giving him any funding. They're not giving him the ability to debate or take the stage with Biden in any capacity. And what's more, they're also refusing to give him, or rather, the White House is refusing to give him Secret Service, which RFKJ claims makes him the first legitimate presidential candidate in history to be denied that request. Now, aside from that, what I find a little concerning, I suppose, and not to sound too apathetic here, but let's face it, RFKJ's family has a history of needing special security. You know, look up what happened to his father and his uncle, for crying out loud. So the fact that the Democratic Party is going this far to try and not help RFKJ on his way, I think says something. And the fact that despite all that, he has 33% of Democratic voters saying they would likely vote for him if he ran as an independent is crazy. Now, let's put that into numbers. 33%, that's 27 million voters. Joe Biden could lose 27 million votes to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's a very legitimate political threat. Speaking of very legitimate political threats, a Democratic congressman in Minnesota says 
that he is completely open to challenging President Biden for his party's presidential nomination. Dean Phillips is this individual's name, and he says he thinks more Democrats should enter the race because that's why they have primaries in the first place. And he also argues that it would only strengthen Democrat messaging. Well, we've seen that argument on the Republican side with former President Donald Trump's refusal to debate, at least on a stage with other potential nominees. Another interesting aspect of this story that bu- that created a lot of buzz, a lot of chatter this week, is the idea that maybe not all Democratic politicians are encapsulated with this whole Biden for progress or whatever his little slogan is. Maybe it's a smaller minority than we think that are really just pro-Biden. Maybe it's not just all Democrats or all Democratic politicians. Maybe it's just a small minority that talks loud and seems like they have a lot of power. We have experience with this in America through cancel culture and woke culture. They just spoke really loudly. They gaslit and steamrolled everybody and then just walked around like they had a lot of power. And people kind of just fell in line with it. Well, I got news for you. According to polls, the whole woke thing starting to die down pretty darn quickly because a lot of Americans realized Hey, there's more of us than there are of you, Wokesters. But that's a side story. The point I'm trying to make is that it's possible that same mentality, that same philosophy, might apply to Democratic politicians. As Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota had said, he's very open to challenging. And guess what? He got almost no blowback for that. People seem pretty open to it. So there might be a chance that we get some people jumping in on the Democratic side. Speaking of blowback and the Democratic side and Joe Biden, nice transition. Not really, but I didn't really have one prepared. The Hunter Biden inquiry, what's that up to? Well, there was quite a few developments this week. Most notably, that infamous $250,000 wire to Hunter Biden received from his Chinese business partners. Well, it was revealed this week that... That money that was wired to Hunter Biden via Chinese business partners was labeled as, quote, personal investment. That is how they labeled, accounted for, and filed that money transfer. Well, the problem with that is that his legal team previously claimed that the funds were part of a loan and had also previously said that he never, quote, received any return on his investment, end quote. Well... $250,000 wired to you, labeled personal investment, seems like he's receiving a return on personal investment. (laughs) James Comer, who, by the way, is in charge of all this, he said that back in 2020, Joe Biden told Americans that his family never received any money from China. Comer also said, quote, we've already proved that to be a lie earlier this year. Now we know that two wires originating from Beijing listed Joe Biden's Willington home as the beneficiary address when he was running for president of the United States. When Joe Biden was vice president, he spoke on the phone and had coffee with Jonathan Lee of Beijing and later wrote a college letter of recommendation for Jonathan Lee's children, end quote. So let's, you know what? Let's do it. Let's count the score here. Joe Biden told Americans his family never received money from China, False. Hunter did. Joe Biden said he never claimed to know that his family received money from China. False. It was wired to Joe Biden's literal address. Joe Biden claimed he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. False. He was on the phone with them and had coffee in person with one of Hunter's Chinese business partner counterparts and even went so far as to write a nice little letter of recommendation for that man's children. Counting up the score, 
Joe Biden zero, Republicans three. Doesn't look like a very good scoreboard for Joe Biden or his son Hunter. But you know what? That's the life of Joe. Moving on from the Biden family and on to other potentially scandalous political families, Bob Mendez. He was in the news quite a bit this week. Bob Mendez is a Democratic senator from New Jersey. Been in the game for a long time now. And to give you a nice little synopsis of what he's got going on, he's currently being accused of political bribery. He's being accused of accepting cash, gold bars, and luxurious gifts such as cars and, you know, hotel stays and things like that. And in return for those things, supposedly he's been basically selling American secrets to an extent to countries like Egypt, for instance. And by selling American secrets, I'm not talking military. I'm more talking giving Egypt a heads up and a leg up on what American politicians are working towards achieving and doing. Now, if he's found guilty, this could potentially be treason on a more extreme side. Or he could be found guilty of simply accepting political bribes. In any case, Bob Mendez has vehemently opposed any of these accusations. He's pleaded not guilty across the board, as has his wife, who is also being charged. Some people say, yeah, obviously he says that. He has to, A and B. In case you don't know, Bob Mendez, this very same individual, was actually accused of bribery back in, like, 2010. So (laughs) this is not his first rodeo. But the reason why this news was big, aside from sensationalized media coverage of a potentially corrupt politician, is because Bob Mendez has a lot of connections to a lot of other Democratic politicians. Mendez has his very own PAC, and that PAC has donated time and time again to other Democrats. Well, some have now raised a red flag saying, hey, wait a second, is that dirty money? Are Democrats now funding their races via dirty money? A lot of moral questions and a lot of trust questions came into play after that. Well, several, actually, I take that back, most of the Democratic politicians that had received money from Bob Mendez's PAC has vowed to return that money. Will they actually do it? Who knows? A lot of people make promises and then nobody really follows up on whether or not they do it or not. Don't want to detract too much, but we saw that with Amber Heard. Just saying. Moving on, though. A lot of them have vowed to return the money. We'll see if they actually do. And we'll also see how many of them actually do. Now, it's important to note that there is no actual legal reason why they would have to return this money because Bob Mendez has not been found guilty. And even if he was, they would have to then prove that the money that was sent to Democrats was actually dirty money and was actually involved in a, you know, sort of pay-for-play scheme or selling off certain information or just straight bribery. They'd have to prove all that. So as of now, these Democrats, they don't have to give the money back, but they want to. That's what they say. A lot of Republicans were arguing uh, they don't really want to. This is more political optics. They don't want to be associated but also they don't want to appear like they're profiting off of corruption. All of that is very fair. Who would want that look? Especially a politician. And so Bob Mendez is in some pretty hot water. A lot of Democrats have also called for his removal. They've called for him to step down. He said, nope, not going to do that. I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> so tough luck with that. And just as a way of proving that he's in it to win it. He's here to stay. Bob Mendez went ahead and hired Hunter Biden's lawyer. (laughs) 
Yeah, you got Hunter Biden's lawyer. Well, I, I, I maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe good old H. Biden put in a good word for Bob. But in any case, moving on from there, another major story that was discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG was crime. There was a tremendous amount of highly publicized crime this week. Authorities in Philadelphia have made more than 50 arrests in a two-day crime spree that decimated several businesses throughout the city, including one burglary suspect who was actually out on bail for a separate major murder case last year. (laughs) So uh, basically, there was this huge pack of people, massive pack, and they were just running rampant. They weren't protesting. This this wasn't BLM. This wasn't like any sort of civil rights issue. They were just doing a crime spree. They were just smash and dashing into places and robbing the place. Now, if you think that doesn't sound very smart, unluckily for them, it wasn't. And also, unluckily for them, they aren't. They aren't very smart because a lot of them were live streaming the robberies. They were taking videos of the robberies. They were posting those videos and photos on the Internet, on their social media. So the police tracked down a lot of them pretty darn quickly. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, John, did you rob the store last night? Nah, that wasn't me. Oh, really? Because on your Instagram, you have pictures of you robbing the store with the caption, hashtag just robbed this place. Pretty sure that was you. That's pretty much how it went down for a lot of these looters. Pretty funny. Now, on to the major story within that story is this individual who was arrested that was out on bail. This man used to be a bouncer at a club, and he got into some sort of physical altercation with another man at that club, and he fatally punched him. Punched him so hard, it actually killed the man, which is pretty wild. That's some Jack Reacher stuff right there. And he's being charged for third-degree murder. Well, that individual was released. He was out on bail, free to go. And here they are, one year later, has not been convicted yet, by the way, one year later, performing mass looting in Philadelphia. Pretty wild stuff. Now, something that we had discussed on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG in regards to this story, was a concept, an idea. If these cities are so keen and hell-bent on getting rid of bail and exclusively doing a catch-and-release program, we discussed the idea of maybe doing a three-strikes sort of policy. And I'm not talking the Bill Clinton, you get caught with an ounce of weed and you're in jail for the rest of your life situation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something called flight risk. Judges can issue bail... For prisoners as they see fit. And essentially what bail is, if I am arrested, a judge can say you can either sit in jail until the sentencing or you can give us $10,000 right now and then you can go back to your daily life. But you've got to follow these rules. You can only go to work. You can you can't rob anybody. You know, a list of rules you have to follow. Those are kind of the two options. And a judge is allowed to either offer bail or not. One of the reasons a judge might not offer bail is something called flight risk. And essentially what that is, if I am, let's say, a citizen of Peru and I have a Peruvian passport and I have a lot of connections in Peru, and if I commit a serious crime, there is a legitimate risk that I might flee the country and run to Peru. If the judge says, hey, he might leave, he might pack his bags, get out of here. That's a flight risk. And a judge would say, hey, no, we're not going to give him bail. You have to stay in prison because you might run away. 
All right, we all agree that that's a decent idea. What we had discussed is why don't they do a crime risk? The same way someone might be at risk of leaving, there might be an individual that is at risk of committing more crimes. So let's take this individual in Philadelphia, for instance. He murdered someone. He killed someone. They let him go, fine. That's how you want to play it in your city? Go for it. Well, then that guy got busted committing mass robbery (laughs) in, in a giant robbery spree. That lasted several days, by the way. He got arrested again. Okay, you're going to let him go a second time? Fine. Well, what we proposed is if he gets arrested for a third crime, instead of offering bail or instead of just letting him leave, maybe keep him in using a concept of crime risk. The same way they can keep him behind bars instead of offering bail because they might leave, keep him behind bars and don't offer him bail because he might commit another crime. It's just an idea. Will it work? Maybe. Will there be negative ramifications to that policy? Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. Is it worth trying out? Yeah, maybe. To me, it kind of sounds like best of both worlds. Democrats can have their their catch-and-release program, and Republicans can feel safe knowing that it wasn't just a one-time petty theft, oh my gosh, what a mistake I made, crime, because everybody that commits several crimes are still behind bars. Seems like a nice little middle ground. But if you think that's the only crime that hit the news this week, you would be mistaken. California car thefts. Police officers in Oakland, California, they have reported more than 10,000 car thefts in the city since the start of 2023. (laughs) Just in the city of Oakland, more than 10,000 cars have been stolen. In fact, the exact number as of as of two days ago, was 10,547 motor vehicle thefts. That's an average of 40 cars stolen every single day. Every day, 40 motor vehicles are stolen. Unbelievable. I don't even think there's 40 people that work in this building. That's every day their car is getting stolen. That's crazy. Well, and needless to say, the Oakland residents were not very happy about it. They have been placing more and more pressure on the district attorney and on the mayor to increase the town's police force, as well as the security response as crime in the city has continued to escalate. Oakland, California, a very minority-heavy city in a very minority-heavy state. And what are they asking the mayor to do? Please, love of God, give us more police. Let's listen to the voices. That's what I think we should do. In fact, these Oaklandites, Oaklonians, Oaklandites, Oakland citizens, we'll just keep it simple. Hundreds of small business owners in Oakland, California, are going on strike. They went on strike to protest what they claim is the city's inadequate response to rampant crime. At least 200 restaurants, stores, and offices closed down on Tuesday of this week, and Remain shut all day. This as a way of being sort of on strike and stifling their own local economy to wake the city council up to the cries for help. Now, the Oakland citizens were hoping that that strike would raise awareness about the crime wave and about their cries of help. But as one restaurant owner shared, when a group of business owners tried to discuss the situation with government officials in government buildings during arranged meetings, as they put it, Their requests for help were ignored, and officials told them 
they should invest in private security. Well, that doesn't sound very liberal to me. The liberal agenda, getting rid of the police, has led to low-income families having to pay out of pocket for private security. The Republicans have been ringing the bell about this for years. And the Democrats said that is a slippery slope Armageddon fallacy. That that's not what's happening. Well, it quite literally is. Because small business owners in Oakland are now being told by their local government, we will not give you more police. Invest your own personal money in private security instead. Wow. And that, my friends, is what's going on in the U.S. this week. One last story that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. What's going on in Ukraine? Not with Russia, but actually with Poland. Ukraine and Poland had a little bit of a falling out this week. Now, if you've been following the Ukraine at all, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. They've become that way because they produce a tremendous amount of grain, an absurd amount of grain. And a large portion of that grain would normally be sent to places like Africa and the Middle East. Ukraine as a nation would make money by selling it to nations in Africa and the Middle East. But due to Russian blockades, they cannot get their supply of grain over to Africa and the Middle East. So instead, they've just been sending it all to Europe, to the EU. Well, that sounds good on paper, but one slight hiccup, and that is that this has caused a massive supply with an extreme dip in demand, making local Polish grain farmers have to lower their prices, which is upsetting them. So the Polish government went to Ukraine and said, hey, you're flooding our markets and essentially making our farmers poorer. Can you stop? And Ukraine said, look, guys, our hands are kind of tied. Because we're being invaded and we need money to buy weapons and ammunition. And we need money to pay our soldiers. And we need money. Period. So I know that we're hurting you guys and this sucks and we're sorry. But we're going to keep doing it at your expense because we have to. There's no other option. And the reason why this was kind of sad and sudden is that Poland is actually one of Ukraine's strongest allies throughout this war. Poland has sent Ukraine so many weapons already that the Polish military has almost none left. The Polish military nearly has any for themselves. They sent all of their weapons and tanks and helicopters to help Ukraine. They were so pro-helping Ukraine, such strong allies, they essentially demilitarized their military, stripped it for parts, and sent it over to the Ukrainians. Now, to me, that sounds like a pretty good friend. But now we have this grain issue. And Poland said, okay, fine. If you guys are going to continue flooding our markets, I'm sorry, but we're cutting you off. We're not going to be sending you any more weapons. No more ammo. No more no more supplies. It's done. Now, it is important to note that Poland had promised Ukraine a stockpile of weapons before this breakup happened. And the Polish government did say, we promised you weapons that you haven't gotten yet. And we ensure that you will get the weapons that we had previously promised. But once we fulfill that goal, that's it, Buster Brown. You're on your own. So that is unfortunate for Ukraine. We'll see what that may or may not turn into next week. Speaking of next week, be sure to tune in to the Morning News Watch next week at FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 1310. 
and on your smart speaker, News Talk KZRG. And remember, if you ever miss anything, you can always catch it right here with Plot Summary at News Talk KZRG.